This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. Beehive banter, post hui, post ratana, post te Pati Māori accusing the government of showing all the traits of typical white supremacists. Post Luxon saying we're not. Post a government now doing our bit in the Red Sea. And pre-Waitangi. What a week, Brent Edwards. Yep, it has been a bit of a week. Um, and obviously the rhetoric has kind of ratcheted up um, on the issues to do with the treaty, which, you know, I think actually when you look at a lot of it, you sort of seem to think that a lot of people are talking past one another rather than, than with one another. But I must admit, it was pretty interesting to see the Prime Minister's responses, um, both at his post-Cabinet news conference, first of the year, and then when he went to Ratana. And I think he's made it pretty clear that the issue that's really exercising a lot of people, particularly within Maoridom, is this um, Treaty of Waitangi Principles legislation that's going to be introduced and go to a select committee as part of the coalition agreement, which is an act sort of initiative. But I think, you know... the as, as clearly as he could, I think, the Prime Minister's made it clear, it's not going to go any further than that. Well, yeah, he keeps saying as clear as he could and it's not going to, but David Seymour turned around on camera, I saw the interview in the news where he said the Prime Minister didn't say it's not going to go further, therefore it could still go further. Oh, yeah, I, look, he's got to play that up because it's an act initiative, but, you know, the National Party... Then why have, doesn't he just... Why, why won't he go further? Who? Luxon, why would well, he just look, simply come I'm, out and say well, it is on, not going uh, to happen? Look, because uh, the news say he hasn't ruled it out, therefore oh, again it's on I, the table. I think it's a bit of this, this you know, um, the media thing of, oh, he hasn't ruled it out. As far as I, frankly, everything I've heard him say, I take it that he's Are you going to resign from this job? One day. Oh, so there we go. You haven't ruled it out, so well, Brent's like, going to resign. It's like asking the Prime Minister, are you, are you going to step down as Prime Minister? And he's not going to say yes, but one day he will, either <laughs> voluntarily or possibly. But look, if you look at everything he said, that bill is not going any further. And he gave an assurance at Ratana that there'll be no change to the Treaty he of Waitangi. He just didn't say those words. He gave an assurance there would he be no change. He said it's going to select committee and we don't expect it to go any further. No, and he has clear national will not support it going any further. He didn't say it won't be. He did. Well, he didn't. Um, did he succeed then in placating those that were at Ratana? I don't think he's placated those that, who were at Ratana. And, and Has he be, placated anyone? And there'll be, there'll be more debate um, in, a, in a week or two at Waitangi. I mean, probably even more heated debate. But, I, I, but again, um, the Prime Minister, I was, I was interested in the language he used. He was talking very much, he talked about partnership. I mean, he's talk, you know, he's talking about working with Maori. What he's what he's saying they won't do is set up central organisations here in Wellington where there's some sort of co-governance arrangement. Yeah. So there, there will be co-governance actually, but he's talking about it in the regions with iwi at the local level, which is pretty much what's been happening anyway. So I do think actually a lot of the debate is people talking past one another, largely for political reasons, because, because On clearly both sides. because clearly some political parties, Acton New Zealand First, have been drawing on some of the disgruntled, particularly basically 
some Pākehā who seem to think that Māori are getting a special deal. And they've been drawing on that to get support. So that's so there's a lot of talk to placate them to make them feel as though they've got a government son a finey deal to it and make sure that they are going to be looked after. And, and they're making the point that in any of these changes, all New Zealanders will be treated equally. And where does this narrative come from that they've been trying to, they're trying to get rid of the Treaty of Waitangi? Because they're clearly not, they never have, and they haven't said that. Well, it's come, Where's that come it, from? Well, it's come from, it's come from the ACT Party policy of reviewing and redefining the principles of the treaty, because with that, that carries, what, what will that mean? Will you actually there, by re- redefining the principles, will you actually change the treaty? So that, that's, that's where it's come from. All right. Sending six NZDF personnel to the Red Sea in response to a US request. It's been described, Brent, as symbolic, is it? Is it yes. just that? Yeah, yes. It, I mean, it will make no difference. The Americans don't need them there. But the, the United then States... Then why do they ask us? Because the United States has always had this view. They like to have multilateral approaches to security It's issues. six people. It's six people, but it means there's another country there alongside them, alongside the Brits, the Aussies and others. So it, the important thing is that there's a New Zealand flag... In, as part of that operation. That's what the Americans want. Because, yeah, frankly, we won't add any greater expertise than they have already got. And that, that's not, you know, downplaying whatever expertise these six defence force of, um, staff will have. But we're not going to add to the American um, capability, but what we do is we put another flag in the ground alongside theirs, and that's what they want. And is this, you know, I mean, if you, logic, if you follow logic, you've got this, you've got Australia, you've got AUKUS. There's going to be a lot more discussion on all of this this year, aren't there? Well, and, of course, there, our new defence minister, Judith Collins. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more um, discussion around all of that. And obviously, um, pressure, I think, going on probably from, um, from the United States and others to try and draw New Zealand in further. I mean, the relationship with the United States at a military level has warmed up a lot since you know, New Zealand first adopted the anti-nuclear stance, but it's never got back to full what might some people might consider normality because we retain that anti-nuclear stance and that will always be an impediment to a, a military relationship with a superpower who ha- which has nuclear capability. Um, I'm going to quote John Campbell here. Oh, oh, what a marvellous, marvellous start to this new government. Inflation down to 4.7%, although most of the drop from international uh, prices, of course, with housing the main New Zealand contributor. Obviously, what a marvellous, great job this new government is doing on inflation already. Not even their first 100 days. It's just dropping. And and the government books in better shape than forecast in the December update in the five months to the end of November. It's unbelievable. all of this period largely when they weren't (laughs) actually doing anything or in power. It's just not a coincidence. It's just unbelievably good timing. (laughs) Look, it was always interesting when um, National were running the line about bringing inflation down because we knew, well, it was coming down because higher interest rates that have been imposed by the Reserve Bank were surely going to have at least some impact in bringing inflation down. And that seems to be the trend. But although, as you point out, there is still some stubbornness in the the level of, you know, what we call domestic inflation. So not yet time to... Then how's the Reserve Bank going to look at that? Yeah, well, not yet time to claim victory. But if you look at the, uh, the quarters coming up, particularly once you get to the year, to the end of September, the last September quarter in that three months, the end of September last year, um, 
prices went up 1.8%. When that quarter drops out, you'll see quite a drop probably in the overall annual inflation rate. So, so by the end of the year, you could well be below that 3%. Yeah, so, I mean, what's the Reserve Bank going to do? Um, you know, I mean, you apart s- from saying steady as she goes, we're not there yet. I, you know, likely, I think, um, from what I can see, a number of economists aren't expecting, well, there's differing views. Some expect maybe they might they might look to cut rates. Well, bear you in know, mind, banks do, are already dropping rates. Yeah, banks are already dropping rates, which might um, make the Reserve Bank nervous. I, I'd expect their language would stay pretty um, kind of serious about still the risks of inflation. Um, but that certainly it would seem to be that we're at the end of you know, at the peak of interest rates and that, you know, looking ahead, they are going to start to come down. Just when? Not quite clear. Well, I mean, it does all sound great, but it doesn't help pay the bills like higher interest rates that we've already signed to, does it? No, no, and you'll still have people rolling on to those higher interest rates even now who have been on fixed rates at lower levels for some time, but they're coming to, to yeah, roll I over. I mean, let's face it, prices aren't really dropping, they're just going up at a, at a less rate well, no. Well, actual fact, and and no Apart economy, no, no economy wants prices. <laughs> you don't want deflation, Grant. No, that that would. Well, be. actually, actually, in some of the food prices that we've been paying at the supermarket, well, I do. Yeah, you do in some prices, but overall, when you look at the CPI, you don't want to see no. deflation. Yeah. Well, that's been high banter, which rhymes with canter, which is something this year politically is not happening, is it, Brent? We're off to a rip roaring start. What have we got next week? Well, the house is sitting next week, so just for a week. Then you have a week's recess, so all of the politicians could go after up. that week. Well, they're going to go up to Waitangi, <laughs> you know. That's and, right. And then then back again for a four-week sitting session. So, um, you know, next week's going to be interesting. Normally, after a good break, when the politicians get back for the first week, it's normally pretty um, kind of active. Um, you know, the debate can be pretty fiery. And obviously, a lot of stuff around still these treaty issues you know, given that the House is going to sit between Ratana and Waitangi, and so much of the focus will still be on those issues. Well, of course, all the politicians, they'll be down here in Wellington. They'll be, it's hot. It's, the weather's unprecedented in Wellington. You need to drink a lot of water or, or other that we liquid, haven't got or other liquid. much of. Have we? No, but other liquid. You can drink other liquid. But I know you do. <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> Again, thanks so much for listening, watching or reading. We appreciate you enduring the politics in the last few days. Or maybe the word is enjoying. Which? Enduring? Nice. Enjoying. Bit of both, I think. Bit of both. All right. Catch you again soon. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. The Coalition Government's intention to introduce legislation to define the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi has provoked widespread opposition from within Maoridom. It's part of the ACT Party's coalition agreement with National, and I'm joined by ACT leader David Seymour. Are you, are you surprised by the degree of opposition and concern that's been expressed, particularly from Iwi? Not really, um, because I can see... Uh, where the bad information is coming from. And unfortunately, um, in many instances, it's coming from the mainstream media. So um, I saw a report uh, just yesterday um, that uh, a major TV channel reported ACT um, as erasing the Treaty of Waitangi. Well, anyone that's taken the time 
just for a moment. I mean, we're not secretive about this. I mean, I go around, I give speeches, I publish them, we write policy papers, we put them on their website, I'll tell anyone who will listen. Our agenda is to take the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi that were postulated by Parliament in 1986 and defined by the courts and to some extent interpreted by Waitangi Tribunal and public service activity since then, uh, we believe that if Parliament said there are principles, Parliament finally, after 40 years, needs to say what those principles are. Um, so we're not changing uh, the treaty. If anything, uh, those other actors that are not democratic have been changing the treaty over the last 40 years. We want to give the people a say about what the principles mean and therefore uh, what the lens is through which we should view the treaty from the present day and how we should use that view to look at our constitutional future. Doesn't that run the risk of changing the treaty, particularly from the perspective of Māori? Uh, well, it changes the perspective of everybody um, when the courts go about defining the treaty in a certain way. And they have told us over the past 40 years um, that the treaty is a partnership between races and the implications of that is that your membership of a collective group matters more than your inherent dignity as an individual. Now, every bad movement in recent political philosophy in the last couple of thousand years has had that basic characteristic. You're either tangata treaty, uh, a treaty person, or tangata whenua, a, whenua, a land person, and that will decide whether you have a seat on a certain council or a three waters governance entity or a planning entity or whether you're one of two binary CEOs in a, in a government organisation. All of these things have been happening on the basis that there's a partnership between races and your place in society is as a representative of a race. Um, that, that's wrong. It's incompatible with liberal democracy. There's no future in that. We think it needs to be openly debated. But, you know, when it comes to partnership, and in fact the Prime Minister has talked about a partnership with Māori, with iwi. Mm. So, I mean, and it, but it, it, one of the differences seems to be uh, from perhaps Labor's approach where it was looking perhaps at partnership at central level with national bodies. Whereas, do you agree that there is a partnership approach in the regions with different iwi around them dealing with issues to do with their own people? Is that... Yes, um, and actually we'd like to do a lot more of that uh, and not exclusively with Māori. And that's where the difference is. We don't believe that there, are a part, there is a partnership between races, um, but there's lots of scope for partnership between the Crown and service delivery uh, within each region. And funnily enough, um, if I'm proud of one thing I've done in politics, it was partnership schools. Schools, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and Kuda. you made the point that Māori and Pacifica Yep. would perhaps benefit more from that than that? Well, they, they were, I mean, we called them kura horua, and uh, that came from the term waka horua, which is the name of a twin-hulled uh, catamaran or, or boat, um, and we wanted the analogy of the crown and the sponsor of the school sailing along together. Uh, that's where the name came from. Uh, they were very much about partnership, but as I've, as I've said and you allude to, uh, there was also Pacific Advanced Senior School. Um, there was also uh, Rise Up. Uh, there were also schools like Middle School West Auckland and Vanguard Military School, which didn't have an ethnic basis. So you can be in favour of devolution, self-determination, um, but not exclusively for Māori. And I suspect that at the heart of this debate uh, is a very simple question. Um, when the treaty said that we all have tiro ranga tiratanga, did that mean all Māori 
or did it mean all New Zealanders? If it means all Māori, you've got real problems because, first of all, um, who do you categorise? Most people uh, in New Zealand have some level of mixed heritage. Um, second of all, um, if some people have self-determination, what does everyone else, what does Tangata Tiriti have? Um, that's why you know, we have to interpret the treaty as giving everybody the same rights and duties, which it also says helpfully. But I mean, I know you've talked about two races. But the one thing, though, is is the, the Crown signed mm. the treaty with the Iwi, so mm. there is a relationship there, isn't there, through mm. the treaty, mm. where the Crown then has obligations. Well, it certainly does. But the question is, um, was it signed for the benefit of people who are ethnically Maori, or was it signed for all people who live in New Zealand? And I would argue that if you take the interpretation that it was signed only for the benefit of the descendants of chiefs, of people who are ethnically Maori, uh, then you're going to have a hell of a problem working out what the rights of everyone else is. Does Article 2 not give them tiruranga, tiratanga, and self-determination over their property? Uh, and if it doesn't, uh, then you're going to have to run a state where there's two categories of political rights. Now, there's just no good example of that anywhere in the world, but there's many examples of treating people first as a member of a group, then as an individual, alike in dignity to all others. You know, doing that has had many disastrous episodes throughout human history. I mean, you, you think people should treat, be treated equally, right? Mm. Does, does that mean they should be treated the same? Well, I think people should be treated equally before the law uh, and in public administration. Um, now, you know, I would say probably a better word is equivalently. Uh, so, you know, I think everybody uh, who's born in New Zealand uh, should have the entitlement to a good education that can open their eyes up to the knowledge that will give them choices uh, to make their own way in the world. That, in a, in a sense, is tiruranga tiratanga, but it should be there for everybody. Now, I think you could also argue that there should be more benefit for people who are poorer, and indeed that is how education has been funded in New Zealand for a long time. Um, but once you start saying, well, actually, there's going to be a Maori Ministry of Education and a non-Maori Ministry of Education, and they're going to run on different rules and separately, um, you know, that raises the question, well, if, if ethnicity is the issue, well, Chinese are a significant ethnic group. Uh, so are Indian. Um, so are Pacific. Um, are we really going to balkanise New Zealand like that? Uh, I don't think that is the right way to go. Is language or the use of language getting in the way of the debate? I mean, I think you accused the previous government of racism in terms of its policies. You've got Te Pāti Māori accusing the, this government, the coalition government, of white supremacy and what have you. I mean, and talking about genocide. I mean, quite strong language on all sides, which seems to be, I guess, creating perhaps more heat than light around that debate. Um, well... I think what's important here is that racism is, as the name suggests, uh, when you view a person's race as a more important characteristic than the other characteristics that make that person up. It causes you to group people into racial groups and say that their member of membership of that racial group is more important than their other attributes. And once you've done that, it dehumanises people. Because you say, you're not an individual with inherent values and dignity, you're just a member of that group that I do or don't like. Um, that is absolutely one of the most evil and foulest things 
that people can do, and we're opposed to that. And unfortunately, many of the previous government's policies explicitly said uh, there will be a different role in this policy for a person if they're Maori, i.e. their Maoriness is the primary thing we're interested in here. So I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that was racist. Um, and I think we should use words uh, with their correct meaning and use them uh, without fear when they're justified in being used to describe the world. Um, in terms of some of the other language that they're saying that you, you, you know we're anti-Maori, well, well no, we're, we're clearly not. Uh, we're pro-equality, saying we're white supremacists. I mean, you've got to be kidding. I mean, a lot of the people being accused of that are not actually white, they're part Maori themselves. So uh, you take that stuff with a grain of salt. But we should be careful about how we use words. Christopher Luxon seems to have made it very clear that National will not support this legislation beyond the Select Committee once it comes back, that that'll be the end of it. What's your response? Um, let's listen carefully to what he said. Um, when asked will he support it, he said he's got no commitment to do so. When asked will he rule out supporting it further, he said he's refused to, to rule it out. Um, I suspect that regardless of what people are saying now, what will determine whether this bill is supported further is the public response to the debate that comes from it. It would be extraordinary for people to make a decision uh, before the bill is drafted, uh, before it is introduced, before it is debated, or before it's referred to a select committee accepting public submissions, or before the select committee has made a report. I mean, all of those things have to happen in the usual process. Um, by that time, and that is at least nine months away, um, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of where people sit. But in my view, uh, you know, we've had 40 years of the treaty being interpreted through this lens that has not had any democratic participation entirely by the courts, the tribunal, the public service. Uh, seeing as Parliament introduced the concept of principles, I think Parliament, as our preeminent democratic institution in this country, uh, should have a role in defining what they mean. And our starting point is that they mean what the treaty says in its Māori version, Govern has the right to govern, we all have the right to self-determine, and that we all have the same rights and duties. What a wonderful phrase and what a wonderful basis for a liberal democratic society. David Seymour, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. The coalition government has scrapped the previous government's Three Waters reform, but there are still big challenges in upgrading water infrastructure. I'm joined by NBR's political editor Brent Edwards. So Brent, why did this government scrap the water reforms? Well, the water reforms were contentious with a, with a number of local councils coming out and opposing them, largely on the basis that the assets were going to be taken off um, out of the control of the councils and given to these new water services entities. And the other element that um, some people didn't like was the co-governance element where Iwi and Hapu were going to be given some say in, in not actually how they were run but in terms of the appointments to the representative boards that would oversee them. Mm. And so it was on that basis um, that, that national, the National Party had already had, always had a policy of dumping that and giving control back to the councils and it was also part of Act's policy too. Where are we at now? Because in the past week we've heard from Simeon Brown, the Upper Hutt City Council and Wellington City Council, what's going on? Yeah, well, got scrapped, the reforms have been scrapped, mm. so the legislation scrapped, but now um, this week, and it was interesting because that was about giving councils back control and of course the story has emerged um, about this week, or, or late at the end of last week and through into this week that the the Minister for Local Government, Simeon Brown, had written to both 
the Upper Hutt Council and Wellington City Council, the two mayors, as you said, basically saying that they had failed... He'd wanted to get information from Wellington Water, which runs water services in the Wellington region, about what was being done to control leaks and the like because, you know, Wellington faces water restrictions, mm. which could get worse. And largely it's because, not a lack of water per se, but the fact that about 40% of the water is disappearing through leaks. Now, he argued that both um, the Wellington Council and the Upper Hutt Council hadn't provided the information needed by Wellington Water to, to give it to him, although there's some debate about whether it was or not. So he wrote them a letter, a stern letter, about they needed to give him the information by February the 1st. And the interesting thing was that probably, I think, within about half an hour of them getting it by email, he put out a press statement, including copies of the letter. So there was a very much a political intent mm. of it too. Um, and interesting in the context of the you know cutting the reform because you were saying you know you were going to give sort of control back to the council so to speak, but actually still being here. And also the national has said it was going to look to have a much more constructive um, partnership, if you like, with local councils. But this is a fairly heavy-handed approach from the minister. Yeah, so this tit for tat between the minister and the councils isn't really achieving the objective of improving well, infrastructure. Is well, it? they're now going to meet. I think. Um, on Monday, so maybe they'll clear the air on that. But it, it does raise, um, you know, questions about then what will happen to water infrastructure because the government will be introducing its own um, proposals, um, and, and based on on national's policy, that was about yep giving control back to councils, but encouraging them to come together to form sort of you know regional water. Uh, services authorities or whatever they will be. I, I mean, almost similar, if you like, to the water services entities that would have been imposed on them. Um, and also, though, overlaying that with both, um, obviously, regulation around water quality, um, which is from the organisation Tomata ROI, but also setting up some sort of economic regulator, which was part of the previous government's plan as well, some sort of economic regulator to ensure that councils properly invest in water infrastructure to upgrade it and make sure that it's up to scratch. So who will be in charge of fixing the water infrastructure? Do you have a clear idea? Well, not yet. We'll have to wait and see. The Minister has suggested that, you know, policy work's going on and he's suggested that the proposals, you know, clear government proposals will come out early in the year, so maybe that will then clear it up. But I think it's still going to be that, obviously, yep, give it back to the councils, but actually kind of wave a big stick over the top of them and if they don't meet the objectives or the requirements of the government then the central government presumably through those regulators will have a lot more say and then also the big question is it all comes down to money of course now people argued about how much it will cost now you know under the previous government they talked about the total cost being up to 185 billion dollars over the next 30 years national disputes that but there's no doubt it's going to cost tens of billions of dollars um, and councils don't have that money. Yeah, so, where's it going to come from? So, you know, the idea the previous government had was by setting up water services entities, you'd get balance sheet separation. So the councils who struggle to borrow any more money for the, that sort of big investment, that would be the water services entities would be able to borrow more money to do it. That's the argument. Um, this government wants to see some sort of separation too so that, those new water services organisations that councils might set up might be able to borrow a bit more, but also seems likely that some of those councils will presumably go to the government saying, 
we need some money to help pay for this. So let's go back to the timeline. So we're expecting some government proposals in the coming months, weeks? Well, early this year, as all the Minister has um, said, so what does that mean? I mean, it could go right out to July, I guess. We'll have to wait and see. Brent Edwards, thank you. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.